Welcome, everybody, to the Men for Life show. Um, I am here today. We are at the Archdiocese again, Pete. This is amazing. And um, I have uh, with me my co-pilot here uh, from First Fisher Mini Media, Pete DeMaio. And Father Dennis Gill is, um, was wonderful enough to join us. So um, we're going to hear about Father Gill. We're going to talk to Father Gill about um, the culture of life and about... Um, how it is that we can create a culture of life, especially as men. But before we do that, Father, maybe um, you could lead us in an opening prayer before we get into the discussion, and then you could introduce yourself a little further if you'd like, and then we can get into the topic. But if you could lead us in an opening prayer, that'd be wonderful. Andrew, thank you very much. And Peter, thank you. I'm delighted to be with the two of you today for this podcast. Today happens to be the memorial of St. Elizabeth of Hungary, and she is known for her work with the underprivileged. And a great segment of our society that we might identify as underprivileged would be the unborn, because for many they have no rights. And so it's very fitting that we're commemorating St. Elizabeth today and mm. ask her help from heaven as we pray. Mm-hmm. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we call upon your holy name, and we ask you to send your every grace and favor upon us that with the inspiration and intercession of the saints, especially St. Elizabeth, we may never cease to spend every effort to labor on behalf of the underprivileged, especially the unborn. May we have the nearness of the prayers of our Blessed Mother Mary and all those who pray for us from heaven. And we make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. That was wonderful. Thanks so um, much, Father Gil. Good yeah. morning, everyone. Yeah, good morning. And uh, also, good morning to our producer, Jocelyn. Yeah, Jocelyn's <laughs> here, too. Welcome. We have a producer, which is odd for the Men for Life show. Yes. <laughs> so thank you. For and me. I just want to point out that we now have listeners on three different continents and yeah. uh, multiple countries and Hello, states. Hello, one person in Kenya. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Great. So it's Father, going to grow. That's right. You have a huge audience, Father Gil. Wow. Want you. <laughs> right. Well, Father, we appreciate you taking the time, and um, we'd like to for um, for our listeners. Maybe you could give a little bit of background what you you know what your role is here at the Archdiocese, and, and then we can get into the topic of um, the culture of life. Sure. Well, my name is Father Dennis Gill, and I have three assignments here in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. I am the rector of our Cathedral Basilica of Saints Peter and Paul, and the Shrine of Saint Catherine Drexel and also the pastor of the parish at the Cathedral Basilica. I am also the director of the Office for Divine Worship for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, and I am an adjunct professor at our seminary, at St. Charles Barmeo Seminary. Recently, I was entrusted with the care of two small ethnic parishes here in the city, St. Andrew Lithuanian Parish, which has two churches, one on Wallace Street and one on Wharton Street, St. Andrew on Wallace Street and St. Casimir and Wharton, and a small Slovak parish at Fourth and Brown, St. Agnes, St. John the Pomacene Parish. So this is what I do here in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so the, the purpose of our podcast, we our goal is to evangelize men, especially young men, about the importance of following the church teaching on chastity so that unwanted pregnancies and a culture of death that sort of occurs from that um, doesn't occur. And also to call men to the defense of the innocent and the unborn. 
And so maybe there's sort of two parts that I wanted to get your opinion on. Um, one would be a diagnosis and then also a remedy. So the diagnosis would be what went wrong? How is it that we got to the place in our country alone? We're not even talking about the world that we're, that we're killing 3,000 more or less per day innocent young children in the wombs of their mothers. How did we get here in your opinion, Father? Andrew, that is a loaded question. (laughs) Indeed. I think we have to take a look at the larger picture. This didn't just happen, and it didn't just happen with Roe v. Wade. It goes back perhaps to the Enlightenment when it was possible to separate ideas from life. And so people began to live one way and think another way or no longer saw an implication on how their ideas impacted culture or society. And when you start to separate things out like that, you also begin to separate God out of the human life, out of the uh, human experience. And so our recovery is really large today. It's once again a moment of great conversion where we allow God to be God and we respond to his way and recognize that he gives us the power and strength to do so. So in the culture of death, we see the most explicit example of this separation, this breakdown. And you can hear it today in the slogans that people have to support abortion especially in looking at how it's become a matter of one person's authority over another person's. Mm. And people accept that readily because there is this bifurcation with thought and life. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's like not a unity anymore. Right. It's almost a Gnostic idea in a way, right? So it has become the air that we breathe. Now, our U.S. bishops are meeting this week And they discuss the topic of abortion and recognize that many people in the pew do not have the church's teaching as their own teaching when it comes to a belief that human life begins at the first moment of conception. And part of that is because they have been fed that teaching or that instruction by society as a sound idea that life perhaps doesn't begin at that moment, or it's not life, or it doesn't affect me that people think this way, that life does not begin at conception. So I think that's what happened, and relativism hasn't uh, had its a little impact on all of that. And by that I mean, okay, I may have a personal thought on this, maybe I'm willing to lean into the church's teaching, but it really doesn't matter to me what my husband thinks or my wife thinks or what my son thinks or what my neighbor thinks. So the comprehensive clarity around the truth isn't in place either. So a remedy. The quick fix is not simply articulating the teaching again and again and again. We've been doing that for years, and it has had very little impact. Yes. All we have to do is look at the most recent election cycle. Mm-hmm. And... The Dobbs decision certainly had an impact and people's reaction to it. 
and people ran on a response to that to promote or secure abortion rights. Yes. That did not seem to negatively affect Christians in many instances. In fact, Christians advocating for the security of abortion rights. So what's the remedy? The remedy is once again a call to a radical conversion. A radical conversion that brings together ideas and how we live our lives and how we interact with one another. That because we think this way, it has an impact on every human person. So if my life has value and my life has rights, then every person's life has value and every person's life has rights. For us to move in that direction, it's going to take a great deal of reform within the church, within people's thinking in the church, and a willingness to give witness to it. Now, one of the things that I think was so excellent about the recent Supreme Court decision, and if people are willing to hear it and read the decision, I don't know how they can counter it or not accept it. Basically, it came down to this that no one has the right to take the life of another person. Amen. That was one of the fundamental pieces of that decision. If I come to the conclusion that there's a constitutional right, as was the fact with Roe v. Wade, to take the life of another person, then it's not just the person in the womb, but it's the person in the nursing home. Yeah, it's not? any person. Mm -hmm. So this is why I think there needs to be, again, the wedding of ideas and actions and why I think it's going to take a profound and comprehensive movement of conversion to this truth. So here we are in 2022, and the pro-abortion movement has been the diet that we have been on for years. And Catholics have been bombarded with this, so much so that they become weary, perhaps, of being able to address it, or they've softened their own consciences to the point, well, okay, I personally may be not open to that, but I really don't mind if others are, or it seems like it's a legal matter, a social matter. And all of that is what is part of the need that we have today to remedy the situation with what I can only call that deeper conversion to the truth. I'm so happy to hear you say it, and I've missed hearing you <laughs> preach <Okay>. and teach. <laughs> I'm trying to be clear. Was that clear? Very Crystal clear. clear. Okay. That's clear. why I love um, listening to you, Father Gill. Um, for those who aren't aware, Father Gill has a wonderful Christian initiation program down here at the cathedral. Um, Andrew was a part of that as he was yeah, coming thank in. thank you, Father. Yeah. Andrew was one of our catechumens for some time. And <laughs> an extended period. It took a long time. <laughs> That's I, right. I had to bake for a long time. The catechumen, it can last as long as it needs to last. Amen. In the old days, it was three years, wasn't it, Father? Typically, it was right. several years, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fair, fair, fair enough. It was don't great. say the old days. It should be that way today because it takes a long time to change our minds and hearts. Yes. Yeah. And they should be f truly formed in yeah. Christ. As you're describing right now right. in Christ and, mm -hmm. and everything he wants of our mind and heart. Right. Yeah. Even I, to this issue, which Absolutely. is so 
I was thankful to be a part of that. I, I've, it's been busy. I do apologize. Oh, I haven't that's been okay. down can, in the last... You can only do what you can do. I'm looking forward to coming back down again because it's nice to hear you because when we hear truth preached in a loving way that is completely logical and theological, it's so nice for us as the flock to hear it, Father Gil, honestly, and you do an incredible job. Interestingly, we were with the Sisters of Life yesterday. Oh, okay. And Sister Meve described, as well as the other sisters, described something very similar to what you're describing right now, which is this isn't like we need more, um, you know, anti-abortion teaching or we need more, um, um, or like abortion apologetics. Um, they were saying that this is something much, much deeper, and we need full-blown conversion of hearts, which is really creating a culture of life from within. Correct. That was our Holy Father, Pope St. John Paul's hope and vision. Thank you, Father. I was just about to ask you to comment on that, Father Gil, because as soon as they said it, it hit a chord in my heart, and I said that's exactly Pope John Paul II's teaching. That's Evangelum Vitae, the Gospel of Life. When I picked it up and read it for the first time, I realized in my heart this was not just a teaching for this time. It was a teaching for all times, a thousand years ago and a thousand years because from now. Because it's an eternal truth. Hmm. Do you want to expand? <laughs> well, I think the word culture is really important. We use the word very easily and perhaps too glibly and think that it's something that exists kind of rather outside of us, as if it's something we can look at. But every one of us is a participant in the culture in as much as we receive from the world in which we live and we contribute to the world in which we live. And so unless we're about a constant purification of that culture in Christ, it's very easy for that culture to be infected. And then we can become infected and we can contribute to the infection. And I think personally that because the culture of death is so vast and so insipid that we have to have in high relief our contribution to the culture of life. Everything about us, the way we think, what we say, what we do, has to say life is from God and belongs to God. We have to, I think, come up as with as Catholics and as Christians with a better rhetoric. Mm. Our language isn't working. It's not impacting people. It's not lifting them out of the darkness of the culture of death. It doesn't mean anything today to say you're pro-life. It's like saying be nice. Mm -hmm. It has to go to the core. <laughs> and while nothing will ever equal the church's conviction about doing everything that she can to protect the sacredness of life in the womb. It is one of the most significant issues in the church today. It does have to be combined with every other aspect of following the commandments. For too many people, it's held in isolation, and because of that, they're able to separate it out. The Christian ethic is necessarily an ethic that protects life most of all in the womb but in every other way of living. We look at how families have just fallen apart. That is part of the culture of death. We look at marriages and 
how marriages are lived in a combative way today in so many situations. Mm -hmm. The resistance to having children, to provide for the passing on of the faith to children. This narrowing of our understanding of life flows from the culture of death, weakens our response to the unborn, and has an impact has an impact on how we just live as Christians that fundamentally endorses life in every aspect, which has its beginning in our promoting life in the wound, but then impacts every other way we live. And this is how we build up the culture of life, where we contribute to it, and that are affected by it. It's a radicalization surrounding life. It's interesting, Father and Gil. can I just add something? Please do. You know, Archbishop Shapu said something recently that took a lot of courage. And it's the truth that our current president is not in communion with the church because of his position with regard to abortion. This is the point. Because we have been allowed to isolate our understanding of pro-life, that people think, well, in that area, maybe things aren't in line with Jesus, but everything else is in line with Jesus. No, it doesn't work that way with Christ. Being a Christian, being a disciple, is the radical orientation of my entire life to all that Jesus teaches in every aspect. And that's why I think the rhetoric surrounding the pro-life movement, especially for Catholics to grasp it and to make it a part of their own life witness, has to be as explicit, clear, and comprehensive as possible. Yes, which is why you said it shouldn't be old times for, for becoming a Christian. It's for all times. Is It's like we need a full erase. We just need a washing, a, a as you know, I love Galatians 2.20, Andrew, um, which is, uh, it's no longer, you know, I who live in me, Christ but Christ. Jesus yes. Christ. So it's it's just this erasing of everything that the world has put into us and now inserting back in, you know, like one of Christ's teaching at a time to and build that proper foundation within us. This is not an easy project for any individual. No. <laughs> it's not an easy project for the church, but it is how Jesus began his public ministry. Repent and believe. And for each of us to be doing that seriously and consciously and with conviction helps the next person and the next person. It builds up the church. We need to be unified on this topic more than ever because it continues to cripple us in so many ways. I find it very hard to understand that we can have Christians who and rightfully so, have a passion for the immigrant, but disregard the unborn. Yes. Our passion should be for the immigrant, and our passion should be for the unborn because of the consistent ethic of life. That's what's missing, Father Gill. And you taught it beautifully last year when teaching the Fifth Commandment during the Ten Commandments. You taught us that this ethic of life doesn't just come down to any one issue. We're not talking about just abortion or just immigration or just elder abuse. Or You literally boiled it down to if we're driving in our car and we are not paying attention to the road, 
we're technically breaking the fifth commandment in that moment if we're texting and driving because we're not holding our life in high regard, the, the life that God gave us and the soul that God gave us, and we're not holding the other lives on the road in high regard also. Yes. And I don't know if I did that any justice in your teaching. But (laughs) But we want to always have as one of the paramount issues of life, protecting the life of the unborn. Mm. That that will always be supreme. Yeah. And what what do you think it says, Father, that we just had the meeting or we're having the meeting of the the Council of Catholic Bishops in the United States, that we won't we won't deny the president of the United States communion when he when he comes do you, what i mean i don't want to turn this too political but it does seem to me as a new catholic strange that such an obvious teaching is it a prudential matter how how am i to think through that it's a very complex situation the church is clear that it belongs to the pastor of someone who is obstinate in their positions against church teaching to visit with that person and try to bring that person to the truth. That's a biblical description of what should happen when someone is apart from Christ, to bring that person to the truth. And because we are not as a church united in our comprehensive embrace of this issue, perhaps it doesn't have the force to lead someone who is so distant from Christ and his teaching to reconsider his understanding of communion. That should happen, hopefully, with him and with others, with the help of their pastor. The denying of someone holy communion is a public act which the church allows for when someone is consistently obstinate and it's a difficult thing to control in every situation. There are some who do so and there are some who choose not to do so. I think it's an indication just of where we are. It says three things to me. Not fully understanding Holy Communion St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians reminds us that none of us should receive the body and blood of Christ without first examining ourselves because to receive Holy Communion is not only to say I believe that this is the body and blood of the Lord that, but as well that my life is in moral communion with Jesus and everything that Jesus teaches. Amen. So it also says something about our corporate understanding of the reception of Holy Communion and receiving communion worthily. Secondly, it's about scandal. If you and I are charged by the gospel to constantly examine our lives according to Jesus' way and to struggle to live faithfully according to Jesus' way, and Holy Communion helps us to do that because we've made a commitment to turn away from those things that separate us from the Lord and turn to the Lord, I am strengthened in my own pursuit and I strengthen others. But when others seem to put that aside, it becomes a stumbling block. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's a stumbling block to someone like yourself, Andrew, who is someone who is a recent convert and spent the catechumenate, not only learning the teachings of Jesus, but having your own mind and heart shaped for baptism, 
to be faithful to your baptismal promises, I could see how this could be a stumbling block. So it's an issue of scandal. And the third thing, it reminds us as priests, as pastors, that perhaps we're not zealous in our own duty to lead others to the truth. We can't just sit back and watch. So while I say it's a very complicated issue, those three points are especially highlighted in a situation when we're remiss in directing people to reconsider their participation in communion when they are obstinate in disregarding the church's teaching. So if, if the president came to Philadelphia to the Cathedral Basilica and you were going to be leading the service, the, the mass, um, it would put you in a difficult position then in that way because you would probably, on the one hand, feel this, what you just talked about, and on the other hand, there's this pressure because he's the president of the United States of America, not just, a, not just another parishioner. I would hope that I would see him first as a Catholic, that I would want to have conversation with prior to Mass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I owe that to him. Yeah. Yes. That's what makes you awesome, Father Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about awesome. <laughs> very holy, very that. devout. We appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you just hit on um, on the things that were actually that I was actually thinking. I was thinking um, in my own mind and in my own heart that what Mother Teresa said if we can if a mother can kill her own child or if a father and mother can allow their own child to die or put them to death what stops me from killing you or you from killing me which we're seeing all over the country now and just senseless violence and killings um but that doesn't just stop there that issue also comes into our church in other forms so if i don't have to put myself in proper state of grace with God through the sacrament of confession and true repentance of my sins before I receive him and take him into me in the Eucharist for that deeper communion, why should the Catholic next to me have to do it or the Catholic next mm-hmm. to me? And you're right, it's that's very unfortunate, Father Gill, because we are we need unification. We're we do. And the fact that it's lacking is a reminder of our need to go to our knees and ask the Lord to help build us up into the kingdom that he desires. I'd like to say something else, if it's all right. Sure, please. Here at the Cathedral Basilica, we have the sacrament of penance available every day and twice a day on Sundays. And there's a large group of people who are forgotten in the situation of abortion. And this group includes the men whether it's husbands, boyfriends, whoever they are in relationship to the child. And these men frequently come to the sacrament, and I'm grateful to God that they do. And there is a culpability there because of their participation many times in indicating that abortion that an abortion should take place. But the depth of the wound is incredible the need for their own personal reconciliation is so real. But beyond their personal reconciliation, they struggle after they receive God's forgiveness in so many ways. And I think that as a society, we have all too long have just associated the 
abortion issue with the mother and not the father, which is another indication of where we are in society, not recognizing the child as the fruit of the intimate love of a mother and father and the co-responsibility of the mother and father and the particular role of the father. And I have a great sadness for these men because they often feel and think they can go nowhere. But the emotional and psychological trauma lasts for a long time. That's so. I think that's so important to say. We were speaking about that yesterday with the Sisters of Life, talking about how what the devil hates more than anything is incarnation. We have an incarnational faith. We do. That, and, and so for the human life to be born... And the devil hates that. So the lies that are surrounding that incarnation of the human baby, the human person, are really thick on the ground. And I think one of the main ones is that it's okay, it solves your problem, that if you go and get this abortion procedure, it will be as though you are clean, you are white as, white as lamb again. Mm-hmm. And I think that what you're just speaking to, especially on the men's side, is that that's, not, that's the, maybe the biggest lie, that you know what you did. You can't not know it. And when I, 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 I go to spend time in front of the clinics on a more or less weekly basis to pray the rosary and pray for all the souls involved, and there's a lot of anger that's associated with that whole endeavor. I, you know, all the people that stand there know this. And one of the things I, I always come back to is that it seems to me as though people want to not know what they're, what they're involved in, but because they're human and they were created by our Lord, they have a conscience. They know what they're doing. And so you can't do that without having it affect you. And that's Correct. what, you're, that's what yes. you're speaking to. Although the culture will tell you that you can. But your mind and heart will constantly reject that. It will repel a false teaching. Yeah. So now we have men who are walking around and their inner selves are in combat. <laughs> yes, I, I have a great sympathy and empathy for these men and for the men who are listening to the podcast, if you have not yet presented yourself to Jesus in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, I would encourage you to do so and also to seek the support you need to move beyond the wound of the abortion. Yes. And just to echo Father Gill's words, um, we have probably one in four or one in three men walking around right now statistically who are post-abortive fathers. So this is very, very prevalent. And exactly what Father Gill has stated is there is a wound that's there. And not only is it in need of healing, it's capable of healing for sure through the sacrament of confession, 100%, and allowing God to come in and letting the guard down <laughs> yes and just letting him he is jesus is our divine healer he 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 knows us better than we know ourselves he can get in there and heal the deepest of the deepest wounds but as men we have this tendency um because of our our alpha maleness you know our masculinity to not want to let down and let someone into that hurt and into that pain and also the culture has suggested to us for too long it was a woman's issue. Mm. Yeah, that's the premise of our show. Yes. Exactly that. Is that so. it's not just it takes two. 
Father, and men, I'm sorry, sorry you would be amazed. I always say God writes straight on crooked lines. You would be amazed when we receive healing of, from this, what God can then do with the rest of our lives Absolutely. moving forward. Right. <laughs> our he, entire future is ahead of us. <laughs> he brings us more completely into him. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to read this. Uh, the, I bought a book from uh, Bishop Barron's ministry um, by a, a guy who wrote, uh, Jordan Prusak, and he says, The fall, then, the story of the first sin, is the story of the first lie. In disobeying God's commands, human use, humans use the goodness of existence to create the absence of existence. They use life to create death. God's prohibition of eating the tree of knowledge of fruit of good and evil thus has nothing to do with control over human beings or imposing his sovereignty over their freedom. The opposite is the case. The command, and this is always the case in the Bible, is meant to protect human freedom, to protect our ability to both know and choose the good, which is the same as choosing life. And so I think that that that's what we're talking about is that we this the lie of the the devil has propagated in this culture of death is that this is our freedom to go and have sex whenever we want with whomever we want without consequence and with this this is the creation of the culture of death so we don't believe the truth that 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 the prohibitions and that the the rules that the church has created around sexual activity are because it's valuable because it's the Bishop Barron uses the example of you don't have a rule of, around a rock you find in the street, but you do if you go see the Mona Lisa. There's a lot of rules around that because it's much more valuable. And I think that it's important, maybe for you, Father, to to speak to the to young men about how the church's teaching on how we we treat the opposite sex in this way makes sense, and it's it's. It's it's the right way, as opposed to the evidence that we see in the culture that when it, when we go the opposite way, it creates a huge mess, and that's what you're dealing with in this confessional. I'd like to say two things to that, Andrew. One of the things that has unfortunately negatively and seriously negatively impacted the whole understanding of the place of sexual relations between a man and a woman is the possibility of having relations without conceiving. And what has happened with that is there is a separation from having relations with responsibility. And so it's very easy now to objectify a person or the action. The second thing is, we have a sacramental understanding of the human body. We believe that we are made in the image and likeness of God. That's a sacramental understanding. We believe that because the body is initiated into Christ, body and soul, with baptism, confirmation, the reception of communion, that God actually lives and reigns within us. We even speak of ourselves being divinized. As Jesus took on our humanity, he shared with us his divinity. That divinization is in itself present because we have been made, but it's further enhanced with the sacraments 
and especially with every reception of Holy Communion. So this is an amazing way to understand the human body. When we look at marriage, we see that one of the ways that a couple becomes husband and wife, that the two become one in Christ and become a sign of Christ in his relationship to his body, that is a relationship that is permanent, faithful and fruitful, doesn't just happen when a couple stands before the priest or the deacon and exchanges consent. That's a necessary part of it. But this sacramentality of marriage, where the two become one, is affected with their act of intimacy following that consent. We've lost that understanding. And so when couples are having sex outside of marriage, it's not that there's anything wrong with having sexual relations. We were created to have sexual relations. That's a part of the nature of the human person. But because of who we are in Christ and how we understand not only the sacramentality of the body, but the sacramentality of marriage and what that act has and means for marriage between the man and the woman, outside of marriage, it's a lie. It's not saying what God intended for a man and woman. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so I see that those two issues have led to the breakdown of the freedom that is truly Christian when it comes to understanding the fittingness of intimacy between a man and woman in marriage. That there has been a great disturbance or disruption between being responsible for the possibility of life when intimacy happens. And secondly, receiving the well understood teaching of the church, of Jesus and the church, that these relations are about Christ and the union of one person with another in him, in marriage. I was listening to Father Larry Richards on the way down, Father Gill. He's almost on your level. He's getting (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, thank you. (laughs) And he said just that very thing, which is the misunderstanding of this is, is that um, God, God, sex isn't a bad thing. Sex, sex, or se- sexual intimacy is a good thing. It's just that it needs to include love and life. Love and life have to be a part of this equation. And so if it's right ordered, um, our issue is we take something and we just, you know, turn it into something, you know, perverse or dis, yeah, exactly, that we want disordered. So we want the act of pleasure without necessarily making love and life a part of this, which brought me back to a high school teaching that I didn't process back then as a senior in high school. But um, I remember Father Steve LaRosa, who has since passed, and he said that um, that this this, um, act of bringing the man and the woman together is for three purposes, and it would be um, for the co-creation of life God, the greatest gift God allows us to co-create with him um, concupiscence so he realizes that we derive a pleasure from this <laughs> which makes us happy and he's okay with that as long as it is 
in the correct order where he wants it um, inside of marriage between a man and a woman. And then, of course, um, just mutual love and companionship. I did this wrong. I almost feel like I'm a... Um, Trisha and I are like poster children for Catholic Church teaching because we did this wrong for 10, 10 years. And, and I can now add flesh to our actual teaching, uh, our, uh, the beauty. I mean, these to me are our greatest treasures now that now that I've gotten it completely wrong and I've now <laughs> um, done it right. Um, it's just as I hear you speak about this, I know it so deeply in my heart. But this from is living all part it. of the building up of the culture of life, how when we are about the truth and living the truth. We bring that to the culture and we help the culture then bring it to others. Mm. It's profound. It's comprehensive. It's pervasive. And that's what Pope John Paul II wanted. The culture of life is not an idea. The culture of life is a reality lived by Christians everywhere. Ideas do not save us. Ideas do not redeem us. Jesus has saved us. Jesus redeems us. And he redeems us by giving us himself. And because he gives us himself, we're able to live him. Truth is a person. Yes. The culture of life, that's a very good point. Um, The culture of life already exists. We need to breathe more life into it. No, we need to allow it to breathe into us. Mm. <laughs> yes. Amen. Thank you, Father. Okay. Uh, on the, um, what some, uh, would you like to give any insight? We had Mark Halk on the show with us, and his son, Mark Halk Jr., was with us the other evening. And um, would you like to give any insight into um, just that? We Some of our pro-lifers are the most fervent Christians you'll meet, um, and especially our um, our Catholic pro-lifers. Um, the 40 Days for Life campaign around our country, you know, et cetera, the March for Life, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so is there anything you'd like to say um, to all of us or to teach to all of us about how we should be handling this moving forward, especially in light of, you know, events like that where the FBI may come to your home to raid your home? The Gospel on All Saints Day every year comes from Matthew, the Beatitudes. And The word blessed there in the Beatitudes should remind us of heaven. In heaven we'll be blessed forever, that is, enjoying eternal divine happiness. And it's possible for us to enjoy that happiness here and now in some way to live heaven on earth when we follow those Beatitudes, which is living a life in a radical way that's directed toward God and the service of others. Jesus, when he finishes the Beatitudes, remind us that, yes, our reward will be great, but in the meantime, we may be persecuted. Mm. So what I have seen throughout the years and still today in men and women who are convinced of the church's work in promoting the sanctity of human life, they are compelled to do so in every part of their person and often give extremely generous amounts of time and service. But side by side, even though the promise of the reward is great, there will be persecution. Mm. And sometimes the persecution doesn't come from outside, it comes from inside. And while that situation was quite tragic for Mark and his family, it was the gospel at work. Mm-hmm. Amen. And it's a lesson to all of us not to get discouraged or to lose our 
confidence in Jesus, but to know that the real work is hard work. And uh, I did reach out to him, you know, when this happened to his family. And it was an occasion to lend the greatest amount of support to him and his family, but not to lose sight that it was an essentially Christian act that was met with the violence that comes from those who are opposed to Christ and his work. Very important, Mm -hmm. Father Gill, because Andrew and I were on someone else's podcast discussing that, is that we've forgotten how to celebrate suffering as Catholics. So if anything, this is something that we should almost, I hate to say celebrate or rejoice in, but there's actually a fulfillment in in carrying the cross here by by having to suffer. I I wouldn't say a fulfillment. I would say it's the routine of the Christian life because Mm -hmm. Jesus calls us to discipleship. And he reminds us that we are his follower if we take up the cross. So it's really not possible to be a Christian without, without imitating that. the one who gave his life for us. Well, Father, and, I'm sensitive of the time because yes. um, it's the, I know you have to go. Maybe we could, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, you're welcome. And we look I'm forward happy to, to do it. It's really we wonderful. Do it again. We'd love to do a part two. Could you maybe end us in a quick prayer before you go? And yes. then we could end the podcast. And again, we'd love to do a part two. We could do a part 10 with you, but sure. we'd love to do a part Andrew, two. Andrew, would it be. Would it be okay if I pray for Father Gill? Sure. sure absolutely. Would that be okay, Father Gill? Yes, prayer is prayer. I can't even tell you how delighted that we are to have you. So mm-hmm. if it's okay, I just want to thank God for your presence. Surely. Yeah? Okay. And invoke the Blessed Mother. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm-hmm. God, thank you so much for the gift of Father Gill. Um, you created him. You knew him. You're the author of his life. You brought him in um, to be one of your priests. You've shaped him, you've molded him, so that he can then shepherd all of us, the flock. Thank you so much for all of the other wonderful, faithful, and holy religious um, that Andrew and I have been fortunate enough to meet in our lives and that other human beings across the globe have been fortunate to have and meet in their lives. I would ask you to continue um, to form them and to cultivate this culture of life in their hearts so that that cup overflows onto all of us. Um, Thank you again for this tremendous gift that you've given us of your church, of Jesus in the Eucharist, of the sacraments, especially confession, so we can be forgiven of our sins and the gravest evils. And please help us to be more conscious of you as we move forward leaning into you and to your church. Um, We ask this as we pray. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, our mother. To thee we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer them. Amen. We ask this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Pope John Paul II, pray pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima, pray, pray for, for us. St. Gianna Mola, pray, pray for, for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank and you for life, Father, signing God. off. Thank, Thank you, you, gentlemen. Great to be with you.